1: and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion.
3: Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets spin through space.
5: Welcome to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Our show is growing in popularity and is now the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. That is true only because you are listening to our show, and every time you click on to our show, your vote is being counted. As far as making this show financially viable, I want to thank our sponsors. For the first hour of this new spring season... Our sponsors are Barkerville Gold, American Bonanza, Merrick's Gold, Inc., Palangio Exploration, Tara Minerals, and PMI Resources. Today our special guest is Argentinian economist Adrian Salbucci, who warns of one world government and what that may mean for your prosperity and, more importantly, what it may mean for your personal liberty I will also have with me today Ron Perry of Metanor Resources. Metanor is a company that I have recommended in my newsletter to my subscribers, and it does remain a favorite gold stock of mine, uh, as well as uh, Chen Lin, my partner. Actually, Chen will be with me, uh, joining me in just a minute, uh, and he and I will both be talking to Ron Perry of Metanor. As I said, this is the first uh, program of this spring season, Uh, I launched this show back on March 23, 2009, because I felt there was and continues to be a vacuum of understanding about the real causes of America's economic decline. I felt then, and I feel now as much as ever, that there is a lack of truthful information coming from the mainstream media about what is really going on and a lack of knowledge about current economic policies and how they are leading America into financial ruin not only am i concerned about our financial ruin but also i'm concerned even more about personal liberties which is why i've interviewed people like ed griffin katherine austin Fitz, ron paul bill murphy chris powell of gata uh, just to name a few and it's concerns of personal liberty is why i have today's economist uh, adrian salbucci with me later in the show coming on at a half past uh, the hour the first hour of our show but more to the topic of economics, which is the main focus of turning hard times into good times, I have often stressed how bad economic policy is leading us into ruin. I have been saying that the so-called solutions to our problem are only getting, leading us uh, down the wrong path, and that things are really getting worse under the surface than they appear to be on the surface. Once in a while, though, the mainstream media gets it right, with guests who do understand what is going on in the real world apart from the effective Wall Street um, and Washington propaganda machine. This morning, Tom Kane um, joined Ken Pruitt, the host of a show on Bloomberg. They interviewed Mark Faber, who has been a two-time guest on this show. It is indeed refreshing to hear a truthful account of Wall Street and Washington's pathology once in a while, at least in the mainstream, uh, like a Bloomberg. It gives me some hope in the future that we could be moving towards a healthier more constructive policy mix because only if we understand the true cause of our problems can we uh, expect to see better policy coming from our leaders and of course only if we understand the true cause of our problems can we really be alert to what is likely to happen in the markets anyway this morning mark faber talked about uh, obama the obama and bernanke policies uh, that they are uh, engaged in the greatest reflation attempts in history Interest rates are heading higher. Mark said the Greek problem is a global problem, and it's a problem that's being fostered by massive credit creation. The worse of our problems, the worse our problems get. Mark says the higher the stock market can go. Why? Because the worse our problems get, the more money is created out of thin air, and it drives the stock market higher. Doesn't mean the stock market has real value, but the nominal value of the stocks are rising. Bernanke, Greenspan, Obama, and other policymakers are denying the cause of the problem, Mark says. They are making the problems worse, and this will lead to bankruptcy of the United States. So I'd like Justin, our engineer, to play now um, a piece from Mark Faber as he explained all this uh, uh, in Bloomberg this morning. Justin, can you play the, uh, the piece from Mark?
6: So Obama will guarantee that the deficits will actually increase in future and down the road this will create additional problems so we are in the midst of probably the greatest deflationary efforts on a global scale ever undertaken this incidentally has also happened in china
0: well mark does that mean don't die u.s government securities
6: well i think that i turned bearish in december 2008, when the 10-year Treasury touched 2.08% at the low and the 30 years, 2.53. Now, the 10 years yesterday went to four. In other words, it almost doubled in yield from December 2008. And I think the direction of interest rates in the long run will be upward. We had a 27 years bull market in bonds, 1981. To December 2008. 2008 was a milestone low for 10 years Treasury yields. From here, we're going to go higher. Doesn't mean that there can't be a rebound in Treasury bonds and notes in the next three months or so. But longer term, with Mr. Bernanke at the Fed and essentially Fiscal irresponsible policymakers mm-hmm. guiding Mr. Obama, who himself is fiscally irresponsible. For sure, you'll have higher yields.
0: Mark Faber with us at Gloom Boom and Doom Report. Ken, I know you want to get in here. I want to point out, folks, the Greece yield spread has widened out significantly this morning. Ken, we ballooned from 340 to a 370. That's a real... I use this word carefully. That's a real spike up. Uh, We're really beginning to threaten the late January wides that we saw in Greece and Germany. So that's floating out there right now. That's the difference between German tenure bonds and and Greek tenure bonds. Yes, that's how they, they typically the spreads in Europe. I just want to make clear as they get back to trading today in Europe, that's opened wide and ugly. Well, let me ask you about Greek bonds, Mark, because they're going to have to uh, sell new securities in order to meet a couple of debt payments later this month and, and then on into May. What is Greece going to have to pay to borrow money?
6: Well, I think they'll have to pay quite a lot uh, and temporary they will be able to pay. The question is, how long are they able to pay i think the problem as i see it is that we had a colossal economic and financial crisis in 2008 but the fundamental problems of the causes of the crisis which were excessive credit growth and expansionary monetary policies causes i have to admit that are denied by mr bernanke and mr greenspan but they are the facts that these factors, excessive credit growth, led to the credit bubble and the asset bubble and the collapse. And these causes are not being addressed, but the problems are being postponed. So we will have again a crisis, but in the meantime, the worse the outlook looks, the more stocks can go up because the worse the outlook looks, the more money will be printed and the longer interest rates will stay at zero and in real terms below zero in real terms meaning that when you make a deposit at the bank you get lower interest rates than your rate of inflation so even if the Fed would increase one day say the Fed fund rate to five mm-hmm. percent and inflation is at ten percent you still have negative real interest rates of 5%. And this is what this dangerous man, Mr. Bernanke, will do, and he will bankrupt the U.S.
5: Well, that's from Mark Faber this morning uh, on Bloomberg. Um, I could not agree with Mark more on what he just said. In my view, Faber has it exactly right. The policies are providing some short-term relief and, in fact, even making us feel somewhat euphoric as the stock market continues to rise. But underneath this... uh, apparent prosperity is a growing pathology more and more debt debt is growing so much more rapidly than income and that means the system as a whole is bankrupt it is in increasingly difficult situations and so we see these when we see breakdowns there each major decline becomes bigger than the one before Uh, in the meantime uh, however there are ways to make money and to trade this market and one of the best traders that I know is my partner Chen Lin. Uh, Chen, welcome. Thank you, Jay. Uh, Chen, you just heard Mark Faber's comments, and it seems to me that underlying growth in the global economies around the world um, are not really justifying the rise in commodity prices. We see, for example, oil rising to close to $90 a barrel again. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, Are there some real fundamental reasons for oil rising, or are we seeing this sort of monetary phenomenon we're seeing – you know, enormous amounts of new money creation that's driving the price of oil and other commodities higher. But, but specifically with respect to oil, what are your thoughts?
7: I would say both. But oil, for oil, uh, it's the Pacific market. There's some uh, ingredient. Actually, very bullish for the for oil in the summer. Uh, I expect oil may have a chance to be over hundred dollar. The reason one is that the Iran sanction. Okay, apparently. Uh, the Chinese president and Obama had a deal. Basically, they, you know, China would vote for the Iran sanction in exchange for some, you know, concession on the U.S. side on the currency manipulation issue. Mm. I mentioned in my newsletter in February that I believe this will happen. You know, the Iran sanction will, will go ahead because China will make a deal on that. So apparently, that's that's what's happening. Uh, in, in order for that to happen. Saudi Arabia, I heard, and other Gulf nation has to guarantee China for oil supply. The only country has some spare oil capacity is Saudi Arabia, and you know a few other Gulf nations. So basically, that will take off all the worldwide uh, capacity.
5: Okay.
8: Of
7: the, 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 the spare, most of the if not all this, most of the spare worldwide capacity. So and and that ceases, uh, though there's not much capacity, spare capacity left uh... for this summer mm-hmm. but in the meantime uh... china has a severe drought uh... in, in china it's a once a century drought okay so uh... there's uh... what i heard is that most of the hydro electric plants are shut down already in china and then there's the electrical utility company are requesting to increase the rate because they have to import oil they have to use coal fire generator to supply the same electricity so that will be a short-term, uh, very strong demand for oil. I, I expect will be uh, at least this summer. So with those two um, ingredients, I expect this uh, the oil price can go quite high uh, this summer.
5: All right. And you have some uh, you have some ideas in your newsletter also about some companies that have done very well, some relatively low-priced, unrecognized uh, oil producers. Do you not?
7: Yes, yes, I have been uh, recommending uh, different oil, uh, oil, uh, oil producers, and they did very well uh, for me. The MMT um, uh, um, Martyr resource actually was just going gambaster recently. Um, the um, I have uh, Asica Energy doing very, very well. Um, I also recommend ATP. Uh, that's, an, that's a very leveraged oil play. Um, mm-hmm. I have that actually. Just I was. Buying that and then sold it recently on the rally, and then today actually I just recommend to buy it back. So, so these are are highly leveraged to oil price, and they're producers, so they are taking advantage of existing high oil price. They can use them to, you know, to strengthen their balance sheet. They can use them to, you know, to explore more oil. So that's I I like because they can the company that's already in production that can take advantage of the, the high oil price.
5: Well, Chen, you know, oil, well, you and I are, are big, uh, bullish uh, investors in gold, but oil, of course, is is essential to the modern economy, and oil is so, so important. So there's some basic issues that we're going to explore on this show in the near future. We're going to have Matt Simmons with us on the 27th of April uh, to talk about uh, peak oil theory, and we're going to have somebody else coming on, too, uh, another author, Paul uh, Huibi, uh... he's written a book called the rise of the new oil order and he has a little different take on it so it's going to be very interesting but we want to keep up with you Chen, on your uh, on your ideas on investing in oil and folks the best way to do that is to subscribe to Chen's letter and you can take out a trial subscription uh, a low price trial to see if you if you really could benefit from Chen's letter if you're somebody who's near the computer during the day uh... i would say and you have some, some money to invest i would say it's well worth trying Uh, checking Chen out. You can do that by calling my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 for a special trial uh, offer. Or you can go to our website at miningstocks.com. I should mention that Chen has done a remarkable job. We track one of his portfolios that started out with $5,400 back in 2003, and I believe it's up to over 700 and some thousand. Chen, what is the number, the latest uh, month-end number?
7: Oh, I think it's uh, eight hundred something. Uh, mm-hmm. Now it's uh, actually that was last month. Uh, this month actually went up even more. Is even
5: more so. It's remarkable, folks. And I think it's always the best thing I can tell you. One of the reasons uh... that Chen is on this show on a regular basis is because he brings value. He brings value to his subscribers. He brings value to this show. He brings value to me. Uh, and Chen, I want to thank you again for your uh, for your ideas here. But I'd like to ask you to hang on because. Uh, we're coming up against the break here. We got Ron Perry coming on from Metanor, and he's going to be with us. And uh, Chan, I know that Metanor is a company that you follow. So, can you stick with us as we go to break here, and uh, maybe you'll have a question or two for Ron along with myself?
7: Yeah, that will be great. That will be here.
5: Okay, great. Okay, we're going to go to the break then. Um, let's see if we can um, do. Okay. We're going, to, we're going to go to a break. and We'll be right back with Ron Perry with uh, Metanor Resources, one of my favorite companies, one that I've recommended in my newsletter. We'll be right back.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
4: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences, where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become too or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
1: American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
3: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of lovely ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard It's just a
4: lovely ride You're listening to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor, at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
5: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. You know, I've been saying for quite some time that this is the buying opportunity of a lifetime for gold mining shares And I'm saying that because history suggests that as you have these major credit failures, the real price of gold rises dramatically. By the real price of gold, I mean what will an ounce of gold buy? The real price of gold goes up in these credit failures. We've seen, for example, the real price of gold doubling vis-a-vis the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. Before the Lehman Brothers collapse... Uh, an ounce of gold would have bought only 15% of a unit of the Rogers Raw Material Fund. Afterwards, it spiked up to 44%. Now it's about 35%. So you an ounce of gold will buy twice as much of a basket of commodities and food, food items, and et cetera, as it would have before the, the Lehman Brothers collapse. And I believe that we still have a long ways to go in the credit correction, credit implosion, if you will, in the global economy. Uh one of my favorite junior mining companies is Metanor Resources and and the junior mining companies I'm really interested in companies that are building viable uh deposits gold deposits in the ground and can produce them at a profit. So we're watching these evolving companies and with 6 or 7 years of bull market now there's a growing number of companies that are now starting production, getting ready for production or selling their deposits off to major companies that are producing and Metanor Resources traded Toronto, uh, under the symbol MTO, and the pink sheets, M-E-A-O-F, currently selling at about $0.62, cents, uh, with eight, 128 million shares outstanding. It's about an $80 million market cap. Uh, so the big question now is we've done we've done well so far with this recommendation. The big question now is can we make more money with this stock? Is there reason to buy more? Should we hang on to what we've got? To help me answer that question, I have Ron Perry. He's the vice president with Metanor. He's with me. Uh, and uh, my partner Chen Lin is here too. Chen follows the stock and he may have a question for Ron, but anyway, welcome Ron to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Oh, thanks uh, thanks, uh, thanks. for having me, Chen. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. You're up there in Baldor, up the site of your, uh, your project or near the Berry Deposit, I guess, and uh, Chen and I made that trip up there uh, some time ago, a few months back, and in the, in the dead of winter, uh, <laughs> it was about 20 below zero up there, and we uh, We traveled from the Berry Mine over to the Bachelor Lake Mine and Milling Complex. So I'd like to ask you, with respect to the Berry Mine, how are are things coming along? I know this is an open pit mine, relatively high grade. I think you were taking, as I recall, something like 2.8 grams per ton out of there and shipping it over to the uh, Bachelor Lake Milling Facility. How are things going now uh, at the Berry Mine site?
9: Well, there, well, I'll go right into it, Jay. Uh, at Barry right now, the key thing that's, that's the pending, I guess, news in a sense is that we'll, we've announced it, but if people will go onto our website or look at our ticker, you'll see that we have a 43101 in process on the Barry, uh, Barry open pit. And we expect, uh, news, the final numbers, uh, before the end of the month, and which we'll make public. We'll also, um, Don't hold me to which date, but there's also a a geological program called CoreBox. We'll put the model on that as well. One of our major shareholders is a geologist and uh, representing a fund, and he likes uh, likes that. So we uh, we'll we'll show the deposit to the world because we think the potential here is uh, still great for the Barry, but uh, the final numbers are not in. But that is something that's eminent. Uh at the end of this month we'll have those numbers. So I think that's uh for your readers and for our investors it's a key thing where it's a turning point. And in the last in the last press release when we announced the forty three one oh one is coming, I also put uh all the last uh, the drill holes to give people an indication of what's Because sometimes over a period of a year people forget some of those drill holes and uh when you start to look at some of those drill holes you get quite impressive. And uh there's a lot happening in the area. Eagle Hill uh had some uh good intercepts that's the old Noront windfall property so we still believe that the Barry Urban Township uh, is a new mining camp that's you know we've been saying that uh, for quite a while and i think hopefully with the uh, with the new 43101 we'll add some more uh, proof to it with regards to the mill at Bachelor well we just announced as well in that same press release we the capacity construction is complete uh we're in the middle of commissioning uh we went from 800 tons capacity to 1200 tons capacity uh, at present, you can say we're running uh, over a 1,000 tons per day. We've stabilized it because this is not, uh, remember, this is our third upgrade in in, in about two years. I mean, mm-hmm. the company started at 400, 450 short tons, did an upgrade to 700 metric tons per day, and then we did another one, 800 metric tons per day. But now we've gone from 800 to 1,200 capacity. We've installed a rod mill. Uh, a lot of other things change to the circuit, so it's a recipe. I'm I'm a financial person. I don't want to get into details, but uh, you know we've done it before. We get the recoveries back up to the 94, 96 percent, so we're stable at over a thousand, and then we'll start to move that up again. So it's it's going very well from that perspective. The 43101 is on its way. Uh, at the mill, uh, right next door is the mine. Well, you know we've done the head frame is done the. The new hoist, the ten-foot hoist, has been installed. It's commissioned. It's working. It's it's all done. And uh, last but not least, we finished the shaft alignment. That that unfortunately, once you get in it, you know, you're three times the level of some uh, large large buildings in Montreal underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of stuff to replace, uh, and that we went a little, we went over budget and over time. So the next part is we uh, we gave, we'll be giving the contract to sink the shaft. So uh, we're we're well on our way, and the last point I guess uh, to give a progress report is, once the forty three one oh one is out, then Andre Trombly, our geologist and our team, will reanalyze how we will commence the next drilling campaign, uh, because obviously uh, we want to grow the resource, so there'll be a lot of. Uh, ways to uh, attack that drilling campaign because a lot of the, what the numbers that you're going to see are probably going to be more from 100 meters depth but uh, if you go to our website there's a couple of slides there that will show you that there have been drill intercepts to the structure at 400 meters down so this is the key thing here is now we're going to show you one number and then people will be able to get an idea as they go down by depth uh, how many how the resources is going to increase at barry we, you know, we, we still believe it's a big it's a big bit
5: Okay. Uh, Chen, have you got a question for Ron?
7: Oh, yeah, yeah sure. Um, Ron, uh, so uh, you, your, your meal capacity increased to uh, 1, 1,100 ton per day. Uh, do you think that the battery will be able to feed the meal? Um, right now with,
9: with yes. So, no, we, we, we feel that there's uh, ample tundra there to feed, to feed the Barry. There's no question about that. Uh, and obviously, but the plan is, as we always said, once we are underground, uh, where you get, you know, where we grow our company to almost seventy thousand ounces per day, uh, per per year production is you use seven hundred tons from Bachelor and five hundred tons for Barry and prolong the life, and then you have better chances. Not better chances. You will uh, do exploration programs on both and increase it. But there's no question the next level uh, of we could start just using Bachelor uh, with Bachelor. And then we can look to the future I mean you know forward thinking you know our opinion is that you know maybe two years from now there's a, either a concentrator or a mill on site because we 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 strongly believe we we said that publicly a year and a half ago that we think the Barry pitt is 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 has got a lot of potential uh and you know it's it's not only just a one kilometer strike length, we know that we have a diagnosed study that has uh, four kilometers potential strike we have another we just did some i p 64 anomalies, so there's a lot of potential here in Barry, and we think it will eventually justify its own, and that's how you get the 150,000 ounces and more production within the same company.
2: Okay, and uh, We can always
9: replace ounces. There's some you know small deposits in the area, so we can even still do some guaranteed exploration, but if you ask me, do I want to make an, ex- an acquisition this year, I would rather uh, invest in a drilling program, because Barry is, uh, you know, we want to redefine, keep defining that resource on the increase.
5: Sure. Uh, Ron, a question for you. I think when we were up there, uh, if memory serves me correctly, and it may not, I'm not a young guy anymore, so...
9: Well, neither am I,
5: Jake. <laughs> well, well, you're probably... I probably had a few more turns around the earth than you have, but in any event, as I recall, it was something like 2.8 grams was the mill head at that time, but it, you're, you're, haul, you're hauling that ore from Barry all the way over to um, you know the Bachelor
9: Lake mill. Correct. How far is that? Okay, by road, the, as the crow flies, it's 65 kilometers. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we're Canadians, we use kilometers. And uh, the road is 116. We're probably going to knock off about 15 to 20 kilometers on that because there's some logging people in the area, and they're doing a new road which we'll have access to, and it'll probably save us another uh, 15 to 20 kilometers. So that, 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 that that's news. But there's no question. I mean, transportation is, is the key, uh, and that's why we want to blend the ore. But once you remove the transportation, if you had a mill on site, I mean, Barry becomes an unbelievable uh, profitable uh, exercise once you have a mill in place. So
5: okay, because as I recall, it was something like five a half a, a half a gram or so of, um, of of gold that you're giving up in the transportation costs between between yeah, nine, uh, Barry and dollars a
9: ton, including that?
5: maintenance. What was that, Ron? I didn't nineteen dollars a ton. Nineteen dollars a ton. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's uh, a significant cost. So, the idea the here is, right. if uh, if the resource at Barry justifies building a mill, uh, a concentration mill, that's something that you may consider doing in the future, and then and then haul a
9: concentrate over to the bear, over to. Yeah, that's mill. one of the options. that's uh, one of the options. Right mill, no, but we're forward thinking now. But yeah.
5: Okay. Well, I think that's excellent. Um, a good. Ac- anything else, Chen? Any other questions you might have for Ron?
7: No, no, not at this moment. Right.
5: Okay, okay, excellent. Ron, you're uh, you guys are cashed up now. You're not going to have to raise any more money
9: anytime. Well, we're not looking at raising any money, but you know, I mean, we always look at uh, what we have to invest, and I, I think we're at a point there that the company can look at maybe uh, some debt at the future or some of the capital expenditures. We're getting to the point that we're you know we have a small line of credit, but that wasn't really with uh, proper uh, uh, big institution and things like that. But I think we're looking. We if we do something, we'd look at that. Uh, we're trying to. Uh, Watch the dilution now. I'm a shareholder. Sarah's is a shareholder. shareholder. Jesse Jess is a shareholder, so we're trying to be cautious about that.
5: Sure. Excellent. Well, that's good to know uh, because I think a lot of times that gets lost in the, uh, in the desire to build a big mining facility, so we're thankful, Ron, for sharing and updating um, with our listeners your progress, and we look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future.
9: Well, thanks for having me, Jay.
5: All righty. My pleasure. Folks, don't go away. We have uh, scheduled coming up with us next Adrian Adrian Salbucci. Uh, he's the economist uh, from uh, Argentina that we've been talking about, and he is, uh, he's looking um, uh, at the threats of a one-world government. And uh, I don't know if we have him with us just yet, but he's scheduled to come uh, on our show in a few minutes, so don't go away. Uh, hopefully we'll be back with Adrian Salbucci.
1: PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us.
10: I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more.
1: Marex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Marex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the Advanced Stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M E R R E X Gold.com.
4: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers – Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences, where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become too 201 case or worse. He is available to share his rare profit making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit Miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
10: I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over twelve hundred dollars since two thousand and two. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors but mining stocks are very risky so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success i believe magellan minerals traded toronto under the symbol mnm is one such company that's why it is a top pick of my newsletter jay taylor's gold energy and tech stocks go to magellan minerals.com website to learn more
1: voice america business network the bottom line in business
3: To the human race, some kind of love ride I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love.
4: That's questions, the number four, taylor, at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
5: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Unfortunately, uh, Adrian Salbucci was not able to be with us. Uh, Apparently, our engineers uh, called his number in Argentina had a brief uh hello and a brief message, and then the lines were cut, and no more discussion with mr Salbucci uh, We tried calling several times uh after that still no no connection so strange things seem to happen sometimes to people who um who who talk about um threatening ideas i guess sometimes and I'm not meaning to suggest anything um anything by that statement other than the fact that it seems a bit a bit ironic that um mr sobuchi was on then gone he is really concerned about one world government he's concerned about uh, about some of the powers behind the throne uh, that are that are calling the shots you know we're supposed to live in a democratic country we're supposed to live in a world in which uh, people's uh, say at the ballot box has something to do with the way the laws are constructed the way uh, the way the way we're governed but apparently um, uh, that uh, at least in the minds of many people isn't the case and uh... So we're very fortunate, though, however, to have uh, with us Bill Murphy of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Bill is with us. And, and speaking of, um, of, of weird things that happen sometimes, and Bill will have a few things to, to tell us about, uh, Bill, welcome uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, great to be here, Jay. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you could pinch hit here for Mr. Salbucci. Uh, I know know that you're an extremely busy guy these days. Uh, After 11 years, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee is really starting to catch on, uh, I think, in the minds and the hearts of many people. Uh, Bill, I remember when you and I first uh, met up there in uh, Montreal uh, 12 years ago, maybe it was right about the time you were ready to start, the gold antitrust action committee and you're you're kind of hinting at what you were going to do at that time and uh, frank benarosa was there on the stage with me and you and you joined us and we had a we had met uh... At one of joe martin's uh, cambridge house conferences up there i think we had all of about twenty people sitting out in the audience There were almost as many people on the stage and uh... and nobody wanted to hear anything about uh... manipulation of markets uh... least of all the gold markets but m- you have really come through with some, some big news recently. I'd like you to talk a little bit about your recent testimony at the CFTC. Could you just fill us in? What um, what did you say and uh, just update our listeners so those of, that might not be uh, familiar with what went on there, tell us about that experience. Sure, Jay. Well, a year ago, December, I met
2: with uh, Bart Chilton, a commissioner of CFTC. I saw him
5: on a TV,
2: blonde hair, looked like a fun, crazy guy, and I said, "Maybe that's the guy I can speak to." So I went and saw him. I saw senior counsel, two other people in the CFTC staff. He listened. I was very impressed with him. And then they're having hearings this year on energy position limits, and Bart has been the only one pushing for uh, position limits in the precious metals Mm -hmm. because of the big shorts. And he somehow got me to be one of the participants. They agreed to do what Bart wanted and have people testify in front of the CFTC webcast live. So we uh, give. Our, I gave a five-minute summary as fast as I could, and um, I didn't know that right before I was on TV. The feed was blanked out. As soon as I finished, the TV feed came back on.
5: So very funny. speaking of speaking of, spra- of strange incidents.
2: Yes. So, uh, but so then, uh, what I got was two days before I was going to, to um, give the presentation, a whistleblower showed up. Andrew McGuire called my colleague and got a board. Adrian Douglas, and said he has been corresponding with the CFTC since November and was telling him how J.P. Morgan was rigging the silver market and laughing to everybody about it It was arrogant about it and saying what fools other the stupid people were that, that they were fleecing. And the guy got so ticked off, he went to the CFTC. I guess they'd had too much to drink one night and blew their cover and how they were doing it and the whole thing. A real whistleblower stuff. And Andrew thought that that CFTC was going to let him testify, and they wouldn't. So, two days before, he gave a copy of the emails. He had told the CFTC what was going to happen ahead of time via email and was live with them while it was happening. And we have copies of all these emails. So, what happened was they asked me about all some of God's mass amount of evidence. And, of course, I had the whistleblower stuff, so I went right to that. And I read the whole thing and said it was going to give the emails to the press, which I did afterwards. We put it up on the internet. Uh, It's going viral right now all around the internet. I mean, it's unbelievably explosive because it's a. it's our deep throat, except we know who it is. And then the next day, and this one your enlisted will not believe, uh, Andrew and his wife get hit by a car, and the guy tries to get away, and they hit two more cars, there was a helicopter chase, and they finally caught him.
5: Have they revealed who that individual is yet, Bill? Nope. Nothing yet. So the London authorities, the police in London have not revealed who the... No,
2: some of them, from what I understand, some of them have checked around with the London police, but it happened in the countryside. It wasn't, but but Andrew has copies of the police reports.
5: Okay, so have they arrested this guy?
2: Yeah, he's arrested, but there's nothing, no, but no mention of it publicly since.
5: Okay, so no, because they have they, I mean, mean because, me because of our, don't because know, of even huh?
2: if it was an accident, I mean, what are the odds of, uh, of me getting blanked off TV and then the guy whistleblower I bring up getting hit by a car and his wife? But leave that. Say as just an, a, you know. Uh... listeners should make up their own mind, but right the point is th- this is a story that goes back to with the the
7: bur- uh...
2: Uh... the Bank of England and Brown and Blair and selling england's gold and it's a big story and there's a conservative election coming up pardon me the Brown is called for an English election, and there's f o i a stuff going on ahead of this stuff about his role in the sale of the Bank of England. So this person leading to our issues and going back to the English selling their gold in the most ridiculous of manners, it could be an absolute bombshell. And all of a sudden, all I know is it's
5: going quiet. Well, it's for sure, Bill, because, you know, we questioned, uh, you guys questioned, the Gata people questioned at the time, why would the Bank of England be announcing ahead of time their sale of gold? It's as if they wanted to drive the gold price down, that their purpose for selling gold was not to raise Cash for the for the British people, but rather to suppress the gold price, to drive the gold price down, and hence enhance the the value of paper money in the minds and hearts of people.
2: Well, what what we've been told is that it was to bail out the the bullion banks. They were have debt, and I can get into that if you want to, but there's so much to cover. The bullion banks were short. They were they, the, the after long-term capital management blew up the big hedge fund that was short 400 tons of gold. They were trying to keep it down, and they were running out of supply so they the Goldman Sachs people which I documented back then with a big connection with the Bank of England called in a big favor to Blair and Brown you know which and you know then the then the political honchos of England and it was really just a political favor and if you go back what was written then by myself and others and what's coming to light today it is a scandal it is huge
5: uh bill i wonder if you have some time to stay with us we do have uh adrian salbucci on the line and i think it would be great if we had you and uh, possibly listening in and having some questions for Adrian, because I really think that what Adrian's concerns are about the one world government, about globalization, that it really ties in very well with the concerns of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. And I say that because, uh, because really at, at the heart of it is getting rid of gold, as Alan Greenspan himself said, that gold is the enemy of paper money, essentially. And they have to drive it out. They have to try to drive gold out of the hearts and minds of people and it's part of the manipulation process. I've always felt that the Gold Antitrust Action Committee was on to the most important manipulation of the policymakers. Uh, that that if you could control gold, at least to the extent you're able to control it, you can control a whole lot of other things. The whole paper market, the whole paper market, um, you know, is it, just it's just grown exponentially, and it could not have happened if if the price of gold had been. Uh, had if, if gold had been uh, you know as our monetary uh, in our monetary system as it had been previously. So do you think you could stay on with us a little a little bit more, uh, Bill? Sure, Jay, as we yeah. uh, get Adrian on? Sure, I'd be happy to. Okay, um, do we have Adrian there now? Is he with us, Justin? Yes, I'm here, Jay. Hello, how are you? Oh, hello, Adrian. I, I'm so glad you could join us. We had some difficulties connecting. With you apparently in Argentina, are you um, are you in Buenos Aires or where are you located more or less? Yes,
8: we we had a slight technical glitch there, but yes, I'm in Buenos Aires. I'm four hours ahead of you, and hello to you, and hello to Bill, and hello to everybody there. Thanks for having me on your show.
5: Well, Adrian is is delight. I'm really really pleased to have you with us. Are you familiar with the Gold Antitrust Action Committee?
8: Uh, not in, not particularly, but uh, shoot.
5: <laughs> well, you know the uh, Ed Griffin very well.
8: Yes, very much so.
5: And I know Ed is very much familiar with the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Now, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, and Bill, jump in here anytime. Uh, uh, the, gold An- the Gold Antitrust Action Committee is really uh, more narrowly focused on on gold and the manipulation of the gold markets. And, uh, uh, for the for the purpose, um, well, uh, Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, but for the purpose, at least as I understand it. Um, of, of enhancing some of the, the elitist power uh, bankers behind the scene, the games that they play, the ability to uh, to blow up the paper, that is to drive the paper markets higher to... Well, you, you um, explained to Adrian, if you would, the well, gold it's antitrust action. it's really,
2: action. very simple. We learned 11 years ago that the gold market was being manipulated. That's how it come up. We came with a named gold antitrust action committee. At the time, we thought it was just certain banks, the bullion banks, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Deutsche Bank, Chase Bank, or uh, at the time, and, as the years have gone by uh, it wasn 't long after we realized that this was they were acting uh, in consort with the Fed and the treasury, and it was all part of a strong dollar policy of uh, plan uh, and the whole idea was to keep the gold price low or managed and to disguise some of the things that you 're talking about and of course it 's been going on through fifteen years, but the gold cartel has gone through half the central bank gold that 's left and Based on the huge demand that's servicing, they're not going to have enough supply left to continue the gold price suppression
5: scheme, and it's going to blow up. And we're in the testimony with the council uh, with the CFTC. I believe there was some testimony to that effect that, eff- then in essence, there's the huge paper market. There are these, you know, the futures markets. Uh, 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 you know, it works as long as there's buyers and sellers on both sides of that paper market that do not require. Um, uh, taking gold, that is, taking delivery of gold. Is that right, Bill? Well, Jay, let me explain this real quickly, and then you get to Adrian here. That, uh, sure. uh
2: During this testament, one of the things that came out, uh, that God is Adrian Douglas has been pounding away that the incredible volume traded in the London markets cannot be backed up by gold. that's there. It's more like a Ponzi scheme. And Adrian was saying it would have been 50 to 1 or something like that, and lo and behold, Jeff Christian, who is a big critic of ours, did not he was on satellite, didn't realize... And one of the people giving testimony that Adrian was one of us, and he said, "Oh, the previous speaker was right. It would a hundred times." <laughs> so, oh my God, we're saying he's just giving us a bonanza. This is one of the own bullion dealers. Instead of saying we're wrong, he said we're we're too conservative. And what that means is to make it simple, because it's not that easy to, uh, to comprehend in a way, is to just think Madoff scandal. Mm. Is that that scandal went on and it was a, it was phony. It was a Ponzi scheme that went on until the financial collapse and investors wanted their money back. Mm-hmm. Now think of the same thing, of the same gold being sold like a fractional reserve uh, system in which the, the gold's being sold over and over again to different people, and they're making a lot of money and interest in fake storage charges like the big Morgan Stanley suit a couple years ago. And when it, if people all then want to get their gold back, just like the, the, the Madoff scandal, the whole thing can blow up and do it overnight.
5: Well, hey, Phil, that's that's can exactly can right, and I might just uh, mention to those of you who aren't familiar with Jeffrey Christian. He is a, a well-connected to Wall Street and to the uh, to the bullion banks. Jeffrey Christian at one time reported to Robert Rubin at Goldman Sachs, and then broke away uh, and created his own commodity firm. And he is very much a mainstream a mainstream thinker. He's somebody that I've had uh, interviewed for my newsletter in the past. Jeffrey Christian is very much uh, a non-believer, at least that's what he says with respect to what. Uh, to, to what Gada has been doing but but certainly I think uh, you know and it 's interesting, Bill, that more and more mainstream people are sort of coming around to understanding that Gada has it right on this issue. Uh, I mean Dennis Gartman, for goodness sakes, which is has been had been one of the largest critics of Gada in the past, is is even coming around from what I understand well wonders ever never cease um, so the main thing here uh, I, I would like our listeners to get a sense of of where the intersection is here between. Adrian uh, Salbucci, and, and let me just, uh, a little bit of an introduction, Adrian, since we uh, since we came on, uh, uh, since you came on here in the middle of this segment, but uh, Mr. Salbucci is an Argentine economist, researcher, lecturer, and essayist. Uh, he has worked as an international business consultant and analyst of power structures in the political, economic, and financial globalization, and has been the uh, communications project manager and translator uh, of the El uh, Traductor radial, and I, you know, I, my Spanish is non-existent, Adrian, forgive That's me. All right. Maybe you That's right. can help me out with that pronunciation. But y- you've uh, found that you've been very much involved in uh, in Argentinian politics, I guess, and economics, understanding what's going on there. But not only in Argentina, but sort of globally, is that right? And you're very concerned about what is called the New World Order, is that right?
8: Well, yeah. In a a way, just to make a very very quick synopsis, uh, in Argentina, we've gone through a whole series of recurrent collapses over the past uh, several decades. Three in my adult life. Now, I'm 57, and I've gone through three collapses, systemic, Mm -hmm. financial, and economic collapses, which led to extreme social turmoil, the most recent of which was in 2001 and 2002. And what we've learned is since it hit us very much in practice, so to speak, not just in theory from reading it from the textbooks, you start seeing that there is a whole logic behind uh, uh, what is happening. For example, I was just listening to what Bill was saying about gold. Mm-hmm. Well, naturally, when you start realizing that there is a, you have to uh, uh, draw a dividing line between the financial and the economic. Side of reality, mm-hmm. you're realizing that finance is always 150, 100 times more than the real economy. We've seen that happening with the global collapse of 2008, where uh, uh, you, you had the derivatives market. I think the, la- the latest information from the Bank of International Settlements is derivatives market $684 trillion, and yet the global gl- gross domestic product of all countries added up together is only less than 10 times that much. It's only about $63 trillion. So you start realizing that the financial glut, it just keeps multiplying over and over and over again. And in our particular case, we realize that there is a certain logic to it. Because, you see, when they play the game, it can go on for so long, for an X number of years. In our case, in the case of Argentina, which is a highly volatile economically and financially unstable country, our cycle, so to speak, lasts between 14 and 18 years. So, as I say, we've gone through it several times. What happened to to you guys in America and in Europe and elsewhere is that they made the cycle last for almost 80 years, Mm -hmm. the last time, just before 2008 anyway, the last time that any one of you... Thought of a Great Depression. It's basically a black and white photograph you've seen at school of mm-hmm. people lining up to have a, a, a dish of soup. Well, we don't have to go back to that that far to see black and white photographs. We've 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 suffered it in our real lives. And what I realized is, and and, and this is this is perhaps what I can bring to the table as something uh, a positive to your, to you and your listeners, is that it's a model. And when it's a model, it means basically that it's a it's a global uh, ponzi scheme it's a global ponzi pyramid all through not just the gold market but the entire financial system and they haven't hidden anything away from you because the pyramid is on your 1 bill
3: mm-hmm. and like
8: <laughs> all good pyramids it has four sides and i think the first side of that just just to sub- briefly describe the model is that they seize control of public money. They seize control of central banking. They seize control of the Federal Reserve so as to ensure that there is never enough, in normal times, public money to satisfy the needs of the real economy. Side two of the pyramid is they replace... The uh, real money with fiat money, which they produce from the banking system with the fractional uh, multiplying system and interest and so forth. So they supply inexistent money, electronic money nowadays, through the private banking system. That's the second side of the pyramid. The third side of the pyramid is that for some reason they have led us all to believe that whatever you want to do as an individual, as a corporation, or as a country, you can only do it by indebting yourself. Debt is like practically a sacred word. And the fourth and last side of the pyramid, and that's where our own experience comes in and kicks in quite well, is that they know that this has a cycle. So when it's under the growth cycle, they will privatize huge profits as bonuses, as money going into key investors, into the, into the bonds market, into the derivatives market, and so forth, into the Goldman Sachs and the City corps of this world. But they know that since it's a bet and it's a Ponzi scheme, when the system can no longer hold and it is about to collapse and it goes exactly the other way around, they will socialize all the losses they will make the people pay for it we paid for it in nineteen eighty nine with a hyperinflation in argentina and we paid for it in 2000 and 2000, 2001 and thousand one two thousand two with a systemic banking collapse it's the people that paid it and you guys are now paying it with george bush's and obama's bailout plans which is taxpayer money and the whole planet is paying for it with a technically hyperinflated dollar
5: uh, and and I, it really strikes me, Adrian, as we were talking here, the intersection between what Gata is doing and what you're doing—it's it, really clear to me. You talked about this enormous uh, number of derivatives um, and you know paper debt debt that's out there relative to the real economy. That would not have been possible if we had stayed on a gold on a gold system. And that's why they have to keep gold out of the hearts and minds of people. They don't want people demanding or replacing their pieces of paper with real money.
8: Exactly. Exactly. And
5: this is why what Bill and the Gold Antitrust Action people have been doing is so darned important in terms of the political uh, 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 battle that's going on here, the political and economic battle. But another thing that just struck me with what you just said is that the the cartel or the the people behind the powers behind the throne and i hope we'll, we'll get to who those people are in a minute that really the they're wanting to keep us indebted so that there's never enough money around but the excuse they used for getting rid of gold and bringing on paper money was that uh... they wanted to ensure that there was enough liquidity that we wouldn't have a shortage of money isn't that ironic or is that pretty much the way things are what you see and what you're told is exactly the opposite for example we're taught that the Federal Reserve is really looking after the American people. It was created for our good, not for the socialization of, uh, uh, of, of losses.
8: Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, if you look at it in a way, there is a very strong psychological component behind all this, and I think that, in a way, uh, two concepts: the acid test on any on 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 any acid is to always divide financial from economic. Financial will always have only paper value. In other words, it's worth the paper it's printed on or it's worth the, the computer screen it's shown on. Economic value is always something that will have intrinsic value. It could be something sluggish and difficult to to move around, like buying a home or buying a condo or whatever, or it can be something very, very easy to handle, like gold. Gold is probably the intrinsic value commodity because it also has and this is the second factor, a very strong psychological factor. You see, when times are stable, economics and finance is pretty much, it can almost look like an exact science. That's why yeah. we have Nobel uh, Prizes for economics and so forth. But as times become unstable, economics becomes more and more a branch of psychology. Why do I say this? Because it is people's perceptions that really move the economy. The markets go up or down. Currencies go up or down. People buy gold, sell gold. Their flight to safety is basically a psychological perception, and that can be Manipulated because although we've all been taught at school that it's the invisible hand of the market handling everything, we all know that invisible hands are attached to powerful arms, and <laughs> powerful arms are uh, wielded by very intelligent brains. So rather than just look at the invisible hand of the market, we would do well to w- see what the strong arm is doing, and even more so what, the, what the, the global brain is thinking.
5: Yes, indeed. And Bill, are you still with me? Oh, yeah. Bill, now listen, uh, speaking of powerful arms and and intelligent brains attached to those arms, you guys have focused on some of those powerful arms, and I'm quite confident that they are the same powerful arms that Adrian's going to tell us about. But could you just tell our listeners a little bit about who are some of the parties that you believe the major bullion banks that have been fooling around with the gold price, manipulating, driving it lower to keep people uh, in the paper markets?
2: Well, and... uh couple ways to answer that in our, in our testimony before the CFTC we mentioned that the, the massive shorts in gold and silver right now are JP Morgan uh and HSBC I mean they their short concentrated short positions in these two markets dwarf that of any other few uh traders in any other market but it's interesting because it's it's really quite simple I mean the irony is Goldman Sachs was the ringleader in this and many other things but there can no law I can't find them anymore the last year or so in the gold market, and they were certainly the big ring leader when we first got into this. But you're kidding me, Bill.
5: Nope, you're, can't can't you're saying anymore. Goldman Sachs is no longer a major player on the short side of the market from what you can see. There were short
2: positions the two or three years ago, and even uh, and right before that, uh, they stopped reporting individual players. They just they went to zero,
5: and that, that is incredible, incredible. And
2: it suggests they're, they're to me that they may know anything. something Adrian was
5: talking about a minute ago. Uh, uh,
2: the, the banking reports of the over-the-counter reports about gold derivatives uh, in, in terms of size. However, let me say this. I think it's because they moved on to other markets like the stock market. And mm-hmm. It's real simple for listeners, I think. almost everybody knows, has heard about this, that the Fed's bank is J.P. Morgan Chase. It has mm-hmm. been forever. It still is. All the bailout deals, Feds are seeing the kind of de- favors that they get and and then they work uh, together very closely. Goldman Sachs is is commonly called now government Sachs because so many of their people going in, into the treasury.
5: Yeah. And Well, well Bill, do you think it's possible that the people at Goldman Sachs are actually seeing the end game that they are actually seeing this thing come apart and rather be on the short side, they may even be clandestinely and quietly at least well, privately some of these individuals buying their own gold and hoarding it in places like Maybe Argentina or elsewhere, well,
2: they could be they're the only firm on Wall Street that's really bullish right now. They have a target of thirteen fifty and almost every other wall firm, which has been the case for the last ten years, is neutral to bears They've all missed the whole move
5: that's but if you look
2: at Goldman Sachs and all that they're there uh, they were very um, they had a Big part of them. England Gold Sale that we discussed earlier many years ago. Mm-hmm. They are everywhere. And I believe now they're making so much money in the stock market with the Counterparty Risk Management Group and the Plunge Protection Team and making sure this turtle Dow does its thing. And by the way, if your listeners ever want to learn something that almost no one else knows, do a Google on Counterparty Risk Management Group and you'll find out it's led by Goldman Sachs and the big hedge funds and the big banks in New York. And their stated goal is stability in the marketplace.
5: Yeah. Uh-huh. Their stated goal is stability in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And, and from that perspective, certainly the Federal Reserve has not been very successful. I know I put this question to Ed Griffin when he was on the show. Uh, you know, has the Federal Reserve been successful? It doesn't seem as though it was in terms of its stated goals, but Ed's view was that in terms of its unstated goals, it has been very successful. Adrian, I'd like to ask you, what are your thoughts on that?
8: Well, absolutely, because I was listening very attentively to the names, JP Morgan, HSBC, Goldman Sachs that Bill was referring to. Mm-hmm. I think that we have to put that within the framework or the backdrop of what I would de- define as the controlled collapse of the United States dollars and the current monetary system in order to replace it with something totally new. I call it the new dollar, not that it's going to be a, 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 a run by the United States. Probably there will be a new world currency probably that currency will be backed by gold. Mm -hmm. I often wonder if they will not make a distinction between normal gold, the gold that you you, you, you and I can buy uh, in the market, and what what I've sort of uh, coined as uh, sacred gold. They might put into certain gold ingots, they might put either a hologram, which is already technically feasible, UBS from Switzerland have been doing this for over a decade, or even a microchip or both things something that will make it absolutely foolproof absolutely counterfeit proof and they will put an arbitrary value on that i don't know ten thousand twenty thousand whatever uh... dollars per per ounce and that will be the gold backing the new dollar and why would what one would ask why would they do that? Well, first of all, because we all know that the dollar has been completely hyperinflated. They know mm-hmm. that it's just uh, it, it's like the the, kid, the emperor going around with it with uh, uh, naked. They just say he's got invisible robes on him. That, that's all. And basically, they know that when the, when the cat is out of the bag and everybody realizes realizes that people will go rushing to get rid of their old increasingly worthless dollars, which will be hyperinflated, and try to trade them for new dollars. And the effect of that would be that American citizens, hopefully American corporations, and their best friends will get one new dollar for one old dollar. But people like myself in Argentina, and people in Africa, and people throughout Latin America, and people in the Arab world, and even the Chinese, they might be told, well, look, there's just not enough new dollars to go around. Let the market decide. And the market's going to say, okay, ten old dollars for one new dollar, or a hundred old dollars for one new Mm. And the effect of that, I don't know what the, what, the, what the exchange rate might be, but the effect of that would be to transfer to specific geographies and sectors of the global economy the gigantic losses that they have incurred, which is also a way of weakening other countries. And that's why I think the Chinese are looking at uh, Mr. Geithner without blinking, and they've been doing that for quite a while, because they can pull that off against us, they can pull that off against most of the world. But I'm not sure they're going to be able to pull that off against the Chinese. So yes, definitely, I think I think we have to see this as a backdrop of the controlled collapse of the dollar, where Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan, HSBC are an integral part running the Federal Reserve Bank and running the Bank of England and even running the Bank of International Settlements, Mm -hmm. and the ushering in of a new dollar, a new monetary system, where gold will be a key factor, but they have to do it in such a way that we bear all the losses and they get all the profits.
5: Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's, not a very good, that's not a very good scenario for us. And, and when we come back after, uh, after the break in a few minutes, Adrian, I want to get into uh, more specifics, uh, the things that you've been writing about and talking about. But, Bill, I'd like to ask you before we, before we do go to a break, and I guess we have a few more minutes left, but what, um, what is your goal with, uh, with the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, your goal, Chris Powell's goal, the, other, the goal of, of various other people that, have, that are really day in, day out, plugging it away uh, on behalf of a, free, of a free market for gold. What, when will you declare victory?
2: Well, uh, when this whole thing is exposed and dealt with properly, we put an ad, a uh, $264,000 full-page color ad in the Wall Street Journal January 31, 2008. We warned of coming catastrophe and disaster as a result of the gold price suppression scheme, and two months later, the financial system fell apart. Mm. Because they've made the markets dysfunctional. Gold's a barometer of the, really, up for the financial health of the U.S. That's how people look at it. And when it goes way up, what happens? Everyone screams there's a crisis, too much inflation. There's something wrong with the dollar. It's bad business for Wall Street and uh, Washington.
5: Yo, so they hate pay? it. They
2: hate the gold because of what it says. So they've made it dysfunctional. They made they they've. they've taking away the value of this barometer, and as Greenspan called it himself, a thermometer. So our goal is to expose this thing before it gets even worse. And the longer it goes on, the worse it's going to get. And now when it gets exposed, yes, it's going to be very painful, but hopefully manageable. But, you know, Murphy's Law, if they let something like this go on, it'll surface just at the time when we can't handle it. And then what?
5: Well, then what, Adrian? I know that you're very concerned about this because this new world order that you're talking about that would have a new currency, and, and I think what you're describing is uh, an, what you assume will be an attempt on the part of the ruling elite, and we want to get to who these people are. I think we've touched on it a little bit with some of the names that Bill threw out there, but we, I think what you're saying is that, that your suspicion is that they're going to find a way to try to control us no matter what.
8: Is well, r- yes, yeah, basically in very often times of turmoil and times when people the the vast majority of people uh, are, are in fear in fear over their insecurity and in fear of not really knowing what is happening that will be the time when a major uh, decisions will be taken where we won't even realize, or most people won't realize that they are actually being taking, taken. Uh, what I think we're seeing, and maybe we can, we can uh, discuss that a, a little bit later on, is that we are transitioning from what's been 20 years of so-called globalization, where they really put set the system up electronically, especially, so that there is a definitely global network of control, and now they're transitioning away from globalization and ushering a literal world government which, amongst other things, I think has very, very bad overtones, specifically for the United States of America. Because if you're going to have, usher in a world government, well, you don't feel very comfortable having a superpower standing next to you.
5: Yeah. You might better be living in some third world, uh, what, what is now considered third world country, out of the way, some someplace that isn't, that's out of the limelight, perhaps.
8: Maybe Argentina,
5: yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I know that there are people with money who have been looking and going to Argentina and other South American countries, and one of the things I want to talk to you about are, you know, politics of South America, which I know very little about, and, uh, you know, shamefully so, I think we Americans sort of think this is where the, the, that the whole world revolves or evolves around us, and, um, you know, I mean, I, I guess in, in a way as a superpower it does in some ways, but uh, but maybe... Uh, maybe there's some reasons to start looking uh, other other places around the world. That you know, we've had it so good for so long here. And Bill, you know, you and I, uh, more, I'm a few years older than you, but we've lived through some pretty darn good times in America. We've had it, we've had the benefits of superpower status. We've had, we've had a living standard that's been second to none in the world for so long that that Americans just can't get their heads around the idea that this could ever end.
2: That's right, and uh, unfortunately, if I'm correct, uh, you don't want to be, but the, I see the standard of living going down in the United States by 35%. I've been saying this for years, and we just can't afford with what we have. I mean, just the reports today about California and New York, I mean, basically, the whole these many of our states are all bankrupt, much less the government. And people, the Americans have got this idea that they're entitled to this great living. Yeah. And, they don't realize what the downside could be and i agree with what adrian's saying and it's a bit scary and we're trying to wake people up a little, uh, people up a little bit as part of what we do
5: uh yeah and i think americans think that we should have this great standard of living without working for it even
2: well that's of course what uh, a lot of the people no matter what uh, part of the political spectrum you're on that's part of the giveaway plan it's that we just can't pay for it anymore and unfortunately uh, President Obama and his programs are c- can only add more fuel to the fire.
5: Okay, we're going to go to break now. Bill, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, the update on GATA. I want to have you back on on a fairly regular basis now, especially since things are really starting to pop for GATA. Um, and we're going to go to a break now, and we'll come back with Adrian uh, with more questions. Uh, I have some, a bunch of questions for Adrian. Adrian, uh, We, we want to see what his thoughts are on globalization and, and, and how this thing is going to play out. So we'll be right back after the break with uh... with adrian
1: Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call.
10: I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more.
4: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
3: To the human race, some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love.
4: That's questions, the number four, taylor, at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
5: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, we, um, I just want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of this show for making this show financially viable. And of course, I always want to thank each of you for listening because every time you listen to this show, it's a vote in favor of our show. Uh, modern technology allows us to know precisely how many people are listening to our show. Uh, whenever you go on your computer, we know not that you're there, but we know someone's there. So uh, I want to thank each of you for listening. Our sponsors for the second hour are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold Corp., Magellan Minerals, Apollo Gold, and Columbus Silver. Well, we're back here uh, with Adrian Salbucci. Uh, Mr. Salbucci, I'm so glad that you could uh, be with us and that we were able to get back in touch with you after that glitch earlier in the show. But I, uh, in reading some of your material recently, I noticed um, a, a, a striking date. It was September 11th. September 11th of 2001, yes, we're all very familiar with that, but there was a September 11th, 1991. It was on that date that George Bush Sr., the first Bush president, uh, talked about a new world order. Then on September 11, 2001, exactly 10 years later to the day, we get one of the biggest events in modern American history that seems to provide the ammunition for moving even more quickly towards what Mr. Bush, President Bush, talked about on September 11, 1991, that is, the new world order. Do you have any thoughts about that striking uh, the significance? of? It's uh, just a coincidence, I guess, right?
8: Well, I, I, would, I would wonder if it's a coincidence or perhaps it might be just a little bit more in it than meets the eye. And normally you can describe, and, and, and we, I'm sure you've done that and I've done it, a lot of your listeners have done that, one can try to describe how this power, this global power structure actually works, and you have to stick to basically political, economic, financial aspects and so forth, social aspects and so forth. But when you go a little bit further up the pyramid, it is often commonplace to find certain types of symbolisms, and certain types of dates, and certain types of even even uh, signs and so forth. So the fact that George Bush Sr. said that we were going into a new world order on September 11, 1991, might just be, I have no proof of this, it might just be one of those symbols, which is a way of giving, giving a greater rationale, integrity, and consistency to an entire global uh... uh, ideal or model that spans literally decades and even generations because Mm -hmm. one of the things that we have to understand i feel uh, jay is that we have people here a global power elite that are literally re-engineering the entire planet and they know that this is not done in one two three five or ten years it literally takes generations. It might literally take centuries. So they need to have another mechanism to ensure proper continuity throughout time, which I often feel might have to do with the upper echelons of this so-called pyramid that we are, that we are now discussing. Now, the thing is that when George Bush Sr. said, you know, we are ushering in a new world order, in a way... Okay, it was September 11, 1991, but he was ushering in globalization, which was the point that the the, the planet was being uh, forced into at that time. I've come to believe, Jay, that New World Order is not a specific stage. Rather, it describes a turning point within a much vaster process. Mm-hmm. When the world First World War ended, because historical pers- historical perspective is often very important, when the First World War ended and the uh, British and the Americans and the French won the war and they had to dictate terms against the uh, the, the uh, defeated uh, Central Powers, mm-hmm. they spoke of a new world order. And amongst other things, they founded in 1919 the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute of International Affairs and so forth. When the Second World War was about to end, they spoke of a new world order on the economic and financial and political side with the Bretton Woods Agreement and the United Nations. And when the bipolar world had to go, because you can read your basics, Big New Brzezinski, and you could read about it uh, decades before it even occurred, they spoke of a new world order. And in that new world order, the Soviet Union had to go, because they had to usher in globalization, which is what George Bush Sr., uh, amongst other dates, uh, declared with the new world order of september 11 1991 the tragedy that i think many americans are not realizing is that after 20 years almost to the date of globalization the system is now ready for another new world order turning point which is transitioning from globalization to a more formal world government and just as the bipolar world had to go and the soviet union had to go into the waste waste can Uh, of uh, of history in 1989-1990 in 2010-2011 it's the United States that has to, uh, shall we say I won't say the demise of the United States but it has to cease being a superpower it has to disappear as a specific superpower just as the Soviet Union disappeared, not that there's nothing there you still have Russia and about 19 or 20 other states and you have the Central European States, but the Soviet Union as a a world empire is no longer there the United States, I, I believe unfortunately, might follow the same route because people are not realizing that if you're going to have a world government, a world government cannot tolerate a powerful sovereign nation state like the United States because today it's in friendly hands, the Clintons, the Bushes, and the Obamas. But what what would happen if tomorrow a true patriot were to sit in the Oval Office and he were to say, I don't like this Federal Reserve thing, I don't like what Goldman Sachs is doing to my country, I don't like this world government thing, and I'm going to do something about it? Mm -hmm. That would be very dangerous. So world government cannot tolerate a powerful United States of America.
5: Okay, so we uh, there's no room for Ron Paul in this organization.
8: Uh, no, <laughs> exactly.
5: <laughs> Ron Paul right. has to go. And and in the uh, you know during the campaign, Ron Paul was kept at the end of the stage and asked very few questions, if possible. He's a medical doctor. He was never asked about medical questions about uh, our health care system. Interestingly enough, he was. Very much marginalized. At the same time, though, there is a growing support, populist support for Ron Paul and uh, and for others who are thinking like him. In fact, I'm expecting to interview on this show next week or the following week a candidate for the uh, for the U.S. Congress from New Jersey who is almost a Ron Paul lookalike in his in his views um, about the Fed and so on and so forth. So. The question I have for you, yes, there is a growing, there is a, de- a desire to create a one world government, but how far can they take it? I, I gather from you that they, that you think they can take it a long ways. Uh, we've had very interesting guests on this show. We've had a John, John Perkins. I don't know if you know him, John Perkins yes, yes, yes. is author of uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. I think John is coming from more of a leftist persuasion, perhaps than a free market persuasion, but nonetheless, he sees this globalization this move, as as uh, you know, getting rid of sovereignty of national sovereignty, and that you have large corporate interests that are really controlling presidents. That Obama is not really the president anymore. There are powers behind that throne. How far? Uh, and, and first of all, I'd like to ask you: Would you agree with that view, or would you see it more as a large banking interest rather than corporate interest? Whereas I think Perkins might see the the threat coming from the oil companies and that and that group rather than the bankers. Would you? Would you agree with him? First of all, that it is that the sovereignty of nations is being eroded away, and that large corporate interests are taking control. And then, second question is: Would you see that as more of a banking, you know, the banking industry rather than than the um, producers of, of real things?
8: Well, from the point of view of the global power elite, the sovereign nation state is ed- public enemy number one uh, in foreign affairs that's the uh, Journal of Council on Foreign Relations in the April 1974 issue, Richard Gardner, a, a conspicuous CFR member, said that rather than attacking the nation state head on, it would be better to he literally called it making an end run around the sovereign nation state eroding it bit by bit, so you know letting it collapse by just, uh, just eroding it bit by bit, which is I think, what we have been seeing. Mm-hmm. So definitely, yes, the nation-state is is the public enemy number one. Now, regarding who the powers that be really are, I think that they're all right. Of course, it's the banking cartel. Of course, it's the uh, Federal uh, Federal Reserve. No doubt about it. It's all part of the same scheme. Of course, it's the uh, uh, the uh, chemical companies and the uh, defense contractors and the... Uh, it's all, all the Fortune 500, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a bit more than that. Because these are the uh, entities having formal power, whether it be in industry, in banking, as a multilateral agency, as the IMF and the World Bank, for example, and even key government posts in America and in Europe and so forth. But above all of that, there is a, shall we call it, a planning network. There is a network of, a lot of them call them think tanks. Or, or planning centers and so forth, like the CFR, the trilaterals, the Bilderberg Conference, which is more informal, uh, and, and, and others. There's about 200 of them in all that work as a, as a net. And they provide, so to speak, the libretto, the, the main idea as to how all these complicated processes are supposed to move forward. And they do it very flexibly because they know that finance goes forward at minutes, hours, days, very fast. The economy takes more time because the economy literally moves forward, I don't know, months, weeks, maybe years. Mm -hmm. The political scene will, will change every four, eight, ten years. Culture, the basic culture, will take a bit longer. And people's paradigms, mental paradigms, can only be changed through generational change. So in a way, they are re-engineering and managing these uh, all these aspects as we move forward, knowing that they are all different speeds and different velocities, where each member of this power elite will do the part that corresponds to his role, his own role from his natural site of power, whether it be as CEO of a bank or the governor of the Federal Reserve or the, uh, the Treasury uh, Secretary or whatever his or, or or in charge of a major media, because in the long run. What they have to do, what they need to do is uh, uh, win our passive accompaniment. In other words, mm-hmm. for us to be passive, for the people to be passive. And that requires psychological warfare and psychological action, where the mainstream media are their main weapons of mass destruction of our mental paradigms and our capacity to think independently. So in all, I think we have to be very careful against, any simplistic idea saying, "Well, this is the fault of the bankers or the oil companies or whatever, or a specific country." I mean, I've seen it in Latin America. A lot of people are saying, "Well, it's the fault of the Americans." And I turn around and say, "Well, how come the Americans are much worse off than we are in many things?" So it's not a, a, a specific people. Uh, one of the things I do, and just just to round up this idea, mm-hmm. uh, I often tell my people here, "Look, it's often a question of asking the right question." And in the case of Argentina, the right question often is as follows: If we were to redefine the president of Argentina, Mrs. Christina Kirchner right now. If we were to redefine her not as the president of a sovereign nation state, but rather as the CEO of Argentina, that opens a whole new vista because it makes us ask two questions which i think americans should also be doing if obama is the ceo of the united states of america then who are the directors on the board of directors and above that who are the shareholders who really own america uh, So when you start asking the right questions a lot of good answers start cropping up cropping up which will enable us to better understand how the whole system works
5: well that's very interesting so let me ask you who are the board of directors of obama if you might have a another... I can see now we're not going to have time to get to anywhere nearly all the questions that I have for you, so we're going to have to have you back sometime. But, but let's go to some of these groups. You mentioned this, the CFR, the Council of Foreign Relations. Who are they?
8: Well, the, the Council on Foreign Relations, I think, is probably, in, in my view, I wrote a book in Spanish, which uh, the, the, the title of it would translate as The World's Mastermind, and it was very much geared on the Council on Foreign Relations. They are probably, what, if not the key organization, it's one of the key organizations for, on the planning side. They have the best brains. They have the best people actually doing all the various planning aspects not just for the united states and for the first world but also to control countries like argentina they decided that argentina would be much better controlled through uh... financial backing of specific politicians and specific people rather than military invasion for example which is what was decided upon in the case of iraq or in the case of afghanistan Mm -hmm. now the cfr nowadays is a group of about forty five hundred members they are really top of the top it is, and I think this. Is, this is the. This, that there's two major points that have to be pointed out. First of all, it is a uh, a profile of American society. You have just about every ethnic group. You have men, women. You have white, black, uh, Chinese people. You have all, from all, all sorts of ethnic origins. So it's not a WASP, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant type mm-hmm. thing as a lot of people will lead you to think. Sure. And which I think is a key for, uh, figure. And secondly, it is not conspirational. I hate bringing up the C word, but this is. I think we have to do that. It is. Nowhere at all a conspiracy. Conspiracy. In actual fact, every time I hear the C word, the conspiracy word, it is because we are obviously touching upon something that the powers that be don't want us to, 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 to talk about because if... It is natural human behavior that people with common interests will come together to promote common objectives and those common interests, so it is more than natural that the CFR would serve as a place where the people who control Goldman Sachs and who control Exxon and who control uh, i don 't know the Federal Reserve and who control the Treasury and who control Walmart and who control uh, the media and so forth should come together for a common purpose and a common plan. If anything, it would be ridiculous. To think that david rockefeller would never think of picking up the phone to speak to mr kissinger and that mr kissinger would never dream of picking up the phone to speak to mr geithner and mr greenspan and mr bernanke that is normal human behavior so it is not conspirational it is merely powerful people coming together with a common plan and a common purpose and since a lot of it they prefer not to admit in public well they do it behind closed doors that's what the cfr at 67th street and park avenue is there for
5: right well, certainly, if, if you could see it as conspiratorial, then, uh, then you know, people that are always running around hollering conspiracy are looked at as nuts, aren't they? And you, you sort of undermine the credibility of their allegations if they're trying to say it's a whole conspiracy. But if you can see the logic behind the relationships that we're talking about, then, then it does make a lot of sense. But I have to ask about another group, uh, the Bilderberg Group. I'm expecting to have an author, Daniel Estulin, on this show perhaps as early as April 20th. And uh, he has written a book called The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, and that is a group that is very secretive, as I understand it. Are you familiar with them at all?
8: Well, yes. Uh, actually, I know Daniel. He is one of the foremost authorities on the Bilderberg Group. He writes from Spain, and he writes in Spanish. So we are we we communicate very often. He oh, is, uh, wonderful! Well, I'm going to have research. him on
5: uh, if he's available on the 20th of this of this month. uh... Hopefully, uh, there's some question as to whether he's available. I think there's another. A Bilderberg um, convention that's going on, uh, but but go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt.
8: No, but so definitely, yeah. Uh, Daniel is one of the, uh, as I say, one of the main authorities who will who will be. He's always researching and following them around, and he does a hell of a job at that. Bilderberg is merely a wider. Uh, so we say it brings it. It brings in the real upper echelons. When you look at the CFR, the Council on Foreign Relations, you have basically the people who operate the system, the people who will then go and operate as, a, as, as, as the CEO of a major bank or a major corporation and so forth. With the Bilderberg Group, you bring in the old money, especially the old money of Europe the old money of the Spanish monarchy, the old money of the British monarchy, monarchy. Uh, the number one, uh, the, the, the original leader back in 1954 of the Bilderberg Group, after the Bilderberg Hotel in Osterbeek, uh, Holland, was the, the, uh, the prince of, Den- of uh, Holland. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you have this ancient money where European nobility, even in countries that no longer have uh, formal nobilities like France, Germany, or, or, or Italy, it still holds a lot of sway. It still holds a lot of power. So these are basically, I would say, the upper echelon above the CFR, above the trilateral commission which is a more ambitious geographically entity that are trying to see well how do we bring everything together and how do we promote this a world government model and how do we resolve our internal fights because one of the things that we can see ever since that famous uh... speech by george bush senior in september 11, 1991, is that there have been some very strong fractures and some strong uh, conflicts, uh, conflicts within the very power structure itself. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with, well, certain political issues and so forth that will be too too uh, lengthy to, to delve into at this time. But they also need to resolve those conflicts. And very often some of the things that happen in the world might be a reflection of that very conflict, that very, uh, th- those very conflicts that we will never learn about. But definitely, yes, the Bilderberg Conference Is probably one of the uh, upper echelons and one of the most powerful organizations. It's a loose organization. It's not like the CFR or the Trilateral Commission that is actually a formal organization. Bilderberg is merely a conference that comes together at different places a couple of times a year of very powerful people.
5: Mm -hmm. Well, that uh, I can understand because the the CFR, in fact, uh, I have known at least one person who's a member of the CFR, uh, his name is Tony Walton. He was my boss at Westpac Banking Corporation. If you look at the list of people who are members of the CFR, he's right next to Barbara Walters, mm-hmm. al- uh, listed alphabetically. So I can understand that I could see and touch people that are in the CFR. I, J. Taylor, probably don't have the ability to see and touch the people that are at the at the at the top of this power structure in the Bilderberg Group, uh, for the most part. I'd like to ask you also uh, the Trilateral Commission. Where? Do, what sort of an outfit are they?
8: Well, the Trilateral Commission, if the CFR was founded in 1919 it was extremely powerful because just about everything that has happened uh, around America since 1919, when America became a true superpower, has always emanated from the CFR. If you look at the history of the Second World War, you will see how the CFR at that time practically became embedded into the State Department and dictated foreign policy from 1939 onwards. Uh, As time went forward and as this model became more and more complete, complex, and ambitious, uh, in 1973, David Rockefeller uh, founded the the Trilateral Commission, which originally was the interests of uh, Canada and the United States on the one hand, Western Europe on the other, and Japan way on, on the Pacific side. In the meantime, it's grown to all of North America, all of Europe. Europe and, 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 the, and a lot of the, of the Far East, not just Japan. You also have Hong Kong and you have China and you have Thailand and you have other countries coming in there. In all, it is also a way of coordinating uh, the uh, various actions of different people, different power groups operating in different parts of the world. But the origin, the origin of the Trilateral Commission goes back to uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski. He was the ideologue who wrote a book in 1971 called Between Two Ages, The Role of America in the Technotronic Age, Mm -hmm. which if you read between the lines, Jay, and I've Mm -hmm. read it very thoroughly, you can tell that what he is saying is but the bipolar world cannot hold any longer. We have to move on to globalization. To move on to globalization, it's got to be either the American system or the Soviet system. We've decided it's not going to be the Soviet system, so we have to find a way of collapsing the USSR without going thermonuclear. And they did that wonderfully. He wrote that in 1971, and they finally achieved the peaceful demise or demise of the mm-hmm. Soviet Union in 1989-1990. It took them almost 20 years, but they achieved it. And the same thing is happening now, because just as it was necessary for the USSR to go, when, when we went from the bipolar to the globalized world, now we need for the USA to go. An old professor of mine used to say, at the beginning of the 20th century, it seems that Two systems were set loose to see which one would be the one to take the world into world government, either the American system based on on free markets and supposed free markets and so forth, or the Soviet system. And he used to describe it saying there are two ways to control large numbers of people. The Soviet system is a cop, a a policeman at every corner with a very vicious uh, German shepherd dog, and the other system is a TV set in every living room. Well, the TV set in every living room won Mm-hmm. And that's what globalization and, and this is really in interesting world because a global. couple of
5: weeks ago, Adrian, we had uh, an author named Dmitry Orlov, on uh, a scientist who grew up in Lenin um, in Russia. Um, I, I can't remember which city. I think it was Leningrad. And at age twelve, came to the U.S. He, uh, you know, went through the universities, became a scientist, and then his business took him to the Soviet Union during the time of its collapse. And he wrote a book called "Reinventing Collapse." Uh, and he is uh, basically going to write another book now that goes through the stages of collapse. And he sees the United States now being in that first stage of collapse, uh, that being the financial market meltdown. Does that sound well. right to you?
8: Yes, unfortunately, yes, and part of the, because let's always, I'm sorry to to, to be rather insistent on this, but the permanent backdrop against practically anything that we try to understand is that there is always an implicit psychological warfare going on, and part of the psychological warfare unleashed upon the American people and the better part of world opinion is that whilst these things are occurring, that nobody should really understand what's happening. That's why nobody in the Western world, for example, understood what happened. When the Berlin Wall came down and Germany reunited, and the Soviets say, "Hey, you know, communism isn't such a good idea after all. Let's all become capitalists and let's split up into twenty nation states." And people said, "Hey, incredible! How lucky we are!" Yeah. If they had read their Berzinski in 1971, they would have seen it coming. The same thing occurs nowadays. We are seeing the controlled breakup collapse, weakening demise of the United States of America, but we don't quite realize it. And a lot of that psychological warfare, I hate to say this, has a lot to do with, with uh, Hollywood. Hollywood cooperates very intrinsically into ensuring that people get used to various ideas, various uh, possible processes that are embedded into the collective psyche and that might later take place. If you give me 15 seconds, I can give you a terrible example of that.
5: Please, go ahead.
8: Um, if, if we've seen how in the last 10 or 15 years a lot of president-type president movies arose in America. Every time the American president playing any movie is white such as, for example, uh, Harrison Ford in Air Force One or in Independence Day. If the president is a white man, he will always conquer and he will beat up the aliens or he will beat up the terrorists or whatever. However, if the president is black, as we saw with Morgan Freeman in uh, in Deep Impact, where an asteroid is coming in, or as we've seen in this very recent movie, 2012, where the planet is going to blow up because of I don't know what, and again, we have a black president, it always goes wrong. So there is a very deep psychological message If you have a white president, you'll be okay. If you have a black president, you're cooked. Now, that is something that is being embedded into the collective psyche, and I often wonder, has Obama, who came out of nowhere and has the most unlikely name for an American president of Barack Hussein Obama, (laughs) nobody would have believed three years ago that you were going to have a president with that name, is he earmarked as the last president of these United States?
5: Oh my goodness! That's uh, some real food—food food for thought here, I must say. Um, I would like to. There's so many more things I would like to ask you. Um, I, I think that uh, we've just barely scratched the surface here, with respect to the ruling elite. One of the things I want to ask you—and I—and I can see, as I say, there won't be enough time. I'm wondering if, if maybe we could have you back next week to expand on this some more, because we're going—we only have a few more minutes before we have to bring on. Uh, do the wrap up for today's show, but uh, y- do you think you'd be available next week?
8: Absolutely, just uh, I'm at I'm, I'm your full disposal. Just to take okay, of if you're really in Argentina this week at this, week, at this time,
5: next week we can talk again. I would like to do that, but I, a couple of things I'd like to just just uh, mention here before we go to the break. The global, so to what extent have this ruling really elite um, infiltrated? Have have grabbed power in in places like Argentina? Well, let's say well, Argentina. Uh, yeah, I don't want to... That is say, a, a
8: chapter all in itself. In the case yeah. of Argentina, they fully control Argentina, as they fully control most other countries throughout Latin America. Even Brazil, although Brazil was selected as the key country for the continent back in 1974 by Henry Kissinger, so they, they have a slightly different story. But in our case, the entire political system is based on control by deeply embedded financial elites. Now, uh, perhaps next time we can describe that in a little bit more detail, because the lessons that we are learning in Argentina might help to understand a lot of what is happening in America and in Canada and in the U.K., now that they're going to be having elections next month, and most every other country in the Western world. Basically, as I said before, what we have is a so-called democratic system, which is formally democratic. I mean, we do have elections every so many years, every four years, or uh, every two years for the legislative and congressional elections and so forth. But they are all so completely controlled by money, that you can, you you wonder, can we talk about a democracy that is totally subservient to money? The money is not democratic, and there's no reason why it should be. So if you have a so-called democracy, which is subordinated to money, and money is not democratic, ergo, there is no democracy, or at worst, we have the best democracy that money can buy, which is even worse.
5: Well, it seems as though money is the tool that is used, the carrot the carrot that's dangled before us to try to get us to behave in a way that they want us to—it's the—it's—it's it's the item that we say, "Well, we better give in because we want to keep our jobs," or "We better not talk too much about about something," as Dmitry Orlov noted in the Soviet Union and. Uh, that if you remember the communist party you wouldn't dare speak out against your government same way though here on wall street if you member, if you're working on wall street you daren't talk about economists that work for wall street firms can't really say what they believe about the economy they have to keep spinning good things and making things look as if they're really good well adrian i want to thank you so much for coming on and if we can continue this next week i'd really appreciate that uh... there's so much more to ask you so uh... I, again thank you and i'll look forward to, to talking to you some more next week
8: my pleasure. Great being and thanks, thanks for having me on your show, and we'll be in touch. Thanks a lot.
5: Thank you, Adrian. Okay, folks, don't go away. We're going to come back right after the break. I've got Roger Wiegand here. We've talked a lot of, a lot of politics today and economics. Now we want to get to some of the practical implications. How can we protect our money? How can we uh, do the best thing for, our, for ourselves as we go forward here uh, in these troubled times? We'll be right back after the break.
1: First choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network.
4: Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program.
5: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I have with me now my partner, Roger Wiegand. I haven't had Roger on the show in seems like a long time. Welcome, Roger.
0: I'm here. Good hey, to glad here.
5: to have you. You've, I don't know, traveling to Vancouver or one place or another, and I guess for whatever reason, we haven't hooked up with you in a while. But I want to get your views on this market. We, uh, the equity market and the the other markets as well, you know, you and I are both readers of Robert McHugh, and I know that your work parallels his to a great extent. And Robert is, you know, he's been early in predicting this decline, this sea wave down. You've had a better record than Roger, actually, than, uh, than Robert McHugh, actually, Roger. You've You've been more correct. uh, I can remember some time ago when McHugh seemed to be suggesting it was an an imminent decline and the sea wave down. We had the the initial decline with the uh, Lehman Brothers collapse. He predicted we'd have a a bounce-up. It would be a significant bounce-up. He'd say, uh, you know, thank God for that bounce-up because it's going to give you a chance to to get liquid, to raise capital um, and to pay your debts and, and to put your house in order. And now we've, this thing keeps running. It runs longer than, than McHugh thought. Um, you were more right so far. Um, now you and, I think you and Robert are pretty much on the same page, though. What's your thinking for the duration of this B wave up now, Roger?
0: Well, at this point this week, we are both looking for a cycle pause. We're at a top in about five key markets, including gold, silver, the stocks, and some other things. Now the question becomes, Do we we then later this week or next week, do we fall down in a big sell, a mild sell, or do we just go sideways and then keep going higher? I think we're going to go sideways and keep going higher, but McHugh and I are both almost on the same day as far as this little pause that we're looking at on the 7th of April. I said it would come between the 5th and the 9th, and Bob was even more pointed and said it would come on the 7th. So that's pretty darn close. I mean, that's mm-hmm. this third, or uh, Wednesday, today being Tuesday, it's tomorrow. So we're going to see what happens. I suspect it's just going to go flat to sideways, and then we're going to um, move forward in a new bull market, I think probably all the way through to the end of May. Uh, nobody can tell for sure, but that's what we're seeing now. One of the early signals you can get that's pretty accurate is the NASDAQ index if you compare the stock indexes like four or five of them all together the nasdaq index will always lead first and at this particular point it's leading on a continuing breakout so that leads glenn's credence to the thing the idea that uh... we're going to keep traveling higher, uh... despite the fact we're going to pause a little bit probably later this week
5: Well. That's interesting. We had, uh, we, uh, we had uh, some, uh, a clip from Mark Faber's uh, discussion on Bloomberg this morning, Bloomberg Radio, and Mark made the point that the worse things get, the higher the stock market can go. And the reason for that is because the worse things get, the more money that's created out of thin air that fuels the stock market. Does that make sense to you?
0: It really does. I hadn't heard that statement before, but I think it's pretty accurate.
5: Well, it seems to be what's happening, and and again, I I would guess if I could sort of differentiate between your views and McHugh's, I think you're suggesting you're you're leaning towards a cycle pause and then a resumption of a of a rise, whereas I think McHugh is a bit more cautious and not so sure of that. He's been he's been always a little bit more uh, defensive, a little bit more fearful of the next big shoe to drop, and I guess in a way because of the magnitude of that decline that he sees coming. Um, you know, unless you're, if you, if you're a trader, you have to be nimble, right? You have to be in and out of these. Yeah, markets. Yeah, you
0: can't really sit on your hands and not do anything, or you can't really participate, mm-hmm. make any money in the markets. But um, on the other hand, we're expecting the same big sell that Bob McHugh is, except I just think it's after Memorial Day. So we're thinking that perhaps from later May all the way through to July, we could get a severe sell, or at least a uh, a fibonacci drop of like 23 or 24% as a minimum and then a kind of a flattening out and a rebound and then in the fall have it sell even more.
5: Mhm. Well Roger last night I uh, last night I guess in New York uh this morning on um on Asian television I was on CNBC's squawk box and I was asked about the rising oil price and you know, I, I've also mentioned earlier in this show that we're going to have Matt Simmons on on the 27th. He's going to be on our show. He's the peak oil guy. We also have um, Paul Michael uh, Weebe is going to be on. I believe he's going to be on to take the other anti-peak oil uh, position. But the question was to me posed to me this morning uh, when I was on CNBC uh, Squawk Box in out of Asia. Uh, as to whether I thought the fundamentals justified higher oil prices. And I said, no, from what I can see, that there's a great deal of speculation and, you know, that this just comes in with this sort of increase in money supply that's looking for some place to go. What are your thoughts on that?
0: No, I would agree with that because uh, a lot of the money has been going into the commodity funds. and If you look at the commodity uh, index, the CRB, almost 50% of that is oil. And you'll have larger uh, funds with managers will buy a basket of commodities, and when they buy a basket, oil is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. So consequently, the oil price has to go up on, on that alone. Now, the other thing to consider here is the idea that uh, people are trying to get away from the bonds and the fiat currency because they want hard assets. And just on the strength of going to a hard asset that's got a big pool of money, pardon the pun, Oil and natural gas are a logical place to go, because mm-hmm. it's a it's a uh, depreciating asset. I mean, people, you burn up the oil, you burn up the gas, and it's gone. It's not like gold and silver, where a lot of it's retained. So, consequently, those markets are big. It's a good place to make money. We see oil going a lot higher. Our last uh, in last week's newsletter in Trader Tracks, we moved up our ninety six dollars and fifty cents up to one hundred or a high for this year for crude oil. That's all right
5: Roger. Well, thank you. It sounds like we're out of time. I really want to thank you for sticking around with us and and uh and hanging on Roger. We were having some problems with our guests. Uh your your ideas here are very very uh, very very insightful. I want to thank you for those and your wish we had more time. We'll have to have you on again next week to talk some more because we wanted to get to Europe and China and a whole lot of other ideas. So we'll have you back next week. But folks, you know, you can tune in uh and you can also Get a trial subscription to Roger's excellent Trader Tracks letter for $49. Um, You can call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or miningstocks.com for his trial, my trial, Chen Lin's trial, special prices so that you can try our letters and see if they work for you. Roger has an excellent track record, lots of great ideas that he gives to you every week. So I think you'd do well, at least give it a try. Next week we're going to have, uh, well, I guess Adrian Salbucci said he'd be back with us. We also have a hedge fund manager that has had a remarkable track record. He's going to be with us as well. And and we're going to have a lot more to talk about next week. Perhaps Roger comes on and, and shares some of his wisdom as well. In closing, I want to thank our staff at Voice America again, my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer, Those folks have made this show logistically possible, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, for making it increasingly popular. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
1: it's up or down. Or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's-
4: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, the
3: thing about times, the time is